0: So this morning, I'm going to talk about death and clams and love. Perhaps you're rightly wondering, what kind of Father's Day sermon is this? So let me explain death, clams, and love. A few weeks ago, I had a gathering with a group of fathers from the church, men of all ages. Some had been here for just a few years. Others had been here for many years. Some had young children or a number of young children. Others had adult children or grandchildren. Some had blended families. some had married a high school or a college sweetheart. In preparation for the sermon, I wanted to meet with a group of fathers to hear the wisdom, to share my own experience, to reflect. So we gathered for two hours to talk about fatherhood and parenting, and in doing that, in gathering and talking, we took one more step I believe, toward being the men and fathers that we are called to be. And next year I have this dream of, I don't know, a couple of dozen of these groups of fathers coming together to talk with one another. It was a powerful experience. Now, although I'm a relatively new father, my wife and I have a a three-and-a-half-year-old son, Tucker, it's clear to me that fathering is incredibly important. Mothering, too. Parenting, really. But as fathers... How we love, teach, and shape our children. What our children learn from us about how to treat their future partners and other people. All of that has a huge impact, not only on our children's lives, but on the community, on the next generation, on the world itself. So we gathered to talk. The format we used for this gathering was simple. We began by introducing our own fathers describing our fathers as best we could in a couple of sentences, a word or two about our relationship with our fathers. Some of our fathers were long gone, some we hadn't talked to in years. Others lived in town near us, and we'd seen them that day. Living or not, across time and space, our fathers joined us, their sons, in that room. Then we introduced ourselves, said a bit about who we were, why we were there. And then we introduced our children, so that they too, across time and space, were in that room with us. With the circle full of the generations, we began to talk about our strengths as fathers, about the challenges as fathers, the spiritual dimensions of being a father. We talked about what we hope might happen in this next year of fathering. That was the framework for our time together. And out of that, death, clams, and love emerged. They emerged as the high-level themes, the high-level takeaways from this holy conversation we had. And by holy, I simply mean that we were speaking honest, deep truths to one another. There was no, you know chest thumping, alpha male positioning, jockeying going on, it was real. It was real with one another. The themes that emerged, death, clams, and love, I think they're relevant to all of us. Men and women, even if we don't have children, I think they're relevant to us. So death first. First. As I reflected on our meeting, I mean, the themes were there as we were talking, but only stepping back and reflecting on the meeting, what struck me was that death had been in that circle with us as well. Death had a chair, was sitting there with us, not in a morbid or frightening or, or horrifying or terrifying way, but just simply present in that space. As we talked about what a short amount of time we have with our children before they grow up, how short life itself is, death leaned in. listen. In that space, just under the surface of our conversations, we pointed to the reality, as the poet Mary Oliver says, that it wouldn't be long until death comes like the hungry bear in autumn. Until death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy us up and then snaps that purse shut. Woven into that conversation were these realities, Time goes even faster when we're busy, when we're not paying attention to our children, when we're not paying attention to our partners or our own interior lives. Time just goes by in a blur. It can be so easy, we discover, to inadvertently hurry, 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 come on, hurry. Hurry our way towards death. John Ortberg, an author I frequently read and enjoy, he shares this story, which some of you may remember. Not long after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. I described the pace of my life, John says. I told him about our rhythms of family life. We were in the van driving, soccer league, piano lesson, school orientation, night years. I told him about the present condition of my heart, my spirit, as best I could discern it. What did I need to do, I asked him. What did I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And there was a long pause. Then John's friend said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Another very long pause. Okay, I've got that one, I told him. (laughs) That's a good one. I like that one. What else do I need to know? What else is there? I had many things to do, says John, and this was a long-distance call, so I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time possible. Another long pause. There is nothing else, he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Ortberg remarks, I've concluded then after this conversation and others that my life and the well-being of the people I am with and that I serve depends on following this prescription. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys souls. As the poet Naomi Shihab Nye writes, Walk around feeling like a leaf. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble. You've seen these leaves fall, just falling from the tree. Then decide what to do with your time. Scan your life to see how you might reprioritize, how you might eliminate hurry, so that, as Mary Oliver says, when it's over, We don't have to wonder if we have made of our life something particular and real. We don't find ourselves sighing and frightened and full of argument. We don't find that we have simply visited this world. So in our gathering, this group of ten of us, as we talked... We simply were reminded of the truth that the great spiritual teachers have taught us. That death walks with all of us. Death is a given. It's how we live in this life. How we are present to our children, to our loved ones, to the world. How we give away our love. All of those things will determine the kind of death we have. How we approach death. So in that circle of men, we were deeply aware of our mortality, of our fragility, and the choices we make. And in a very real sense, in that space, we gave each other spiritual direction that said, hey, slow down, be present, hurry less. And that's where the clams come in. I know some of you have probably been hung up on clams from the opening part of this sermon, so here's the clam part. One of the men in our group shared a story he'd heard from former Treasury Secretary Robert Reich about his sons. Reich used the analogy of a clam to highlight, to highlight that to really know our children, in order to really know the essence of who they are, we need to be there at exactly the right moments. As your children get older, Robert Reich reminds us, they are often closed up tightly like clamshells, right? Hard on the outside, but with such a soft, tender, sweet inside. Suddenly and unexpectedly, our children would decide to open up, and if you're not there, says Robert Reich, you might as well be on the moon. (laughs) Those clam opening moments are precious and timeless. They cannot be scheduled or planned or coordinated. That image stuck with me. I think it stuck with all of us, this image of our children as clamshells. And frankly, I think a lot of adults are clamshells as well. And it reminded us why spending time with our children and with loved ones, with people that matter, why that is so important. It's about having enough time together so we have the chance to be there in that window of time when the clam relaxes, when it opens up, when there's that sweet tenderness that's there. And of course, there's a flip side to this as well, as I'm sure many of you are realizing or know. As we spend time with our children or other loved ones, they might see us open our own hard shells as well. They might see us be vulnerable or see our tears. And they might know how much we love them as we share our stories and values with them. When we remember that life is short and precious, when we try to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, when we sacrifice busyness and efficiency for simple presence, we might catch a glimpse of the clamshell opening or give our own lives a chance to open up. These moments might be short-lived, but they are eternal. They have an eternal element to them. They settle into the center of our lives, and against the backdrop of our life, they remain a glowing That nourishes and lights and feeds us. Clamshell moments. Death, clamshells, love. A few words then about love because love had a space in that circle as well. It had pulled up a chair. There was a mature love in that space, a love that helped us see our own fathers in the fullness of who they were flawed and gifted, and forever a part of our lives, whatever their shortcomings might have been. There was also an indescribable love in that circle that we had for our own children, despite how hard and frustrating parenting can be and how hard we can be on ourselves as parents. That indescribable love comes from that source deep in me and the the men who were there where we want our children to know and to feel our love even as we're willing to let them fail, even as we're willing to let them make mistakes, even as they live their own lives which may be very different than the life we had imagined for them. And then there was the love that... I don't know how to put this in words, but the love that just didn't feel like it was enough. We talked a little bit about the moments where no matter what was going on, we felt like colossal failures as parents. As one member of the group shared, when you have young kids, you feel like a failure at everything. You don't have enough time for your partner. You don't have enough time for your kids. You don't have enough time for your friends. You don't have enough time for your job if you're if you're working it is epic failure i think that passes right like you can't, that's just in the early childhood <laughs> years i'm i'm hoping <laughs> but we landed in that place of this love despite the love that's there there's just a sense of i haven't i, sh- I wish i had that sense of i can't meet all these Demands, these requirements, and how hard that felt. There was also a brotherly love, a deep brotherly love in this space, as this group of men opened up to one another, as they walked with one another in this parenting conversation. And in that space, we were reminded that we were capable of a love that would not be Hurried a love that would not be hurried. This idea comes from John Ortberg. I want to share what he writes. Love and hurry, he says, are fundamentally incompatible. Hear this again. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. Hurried people cannot love. When we come home at the end of the day's work, those who need our love the most, those to whom we are most committed, end up getting the leftovers. We are just too tired or too drained or too preoccupied to love the people to whom we have made the deepest promises. That speaks to my life. That speaks to the ongoing work. That speaks to the nature of my spiritual practice and discipline to slow down to be present, to hurry less. And I didn't say it in that circle, but I want that group of men, this busy group of men who came together, I want them to know that just showing up was an act of love. They took the time to be there, to connect with fellow fathers. And in that space, we all recommitted to those we have made the deepest promises with. We promised to leave the smartphones alone after we came home from work. We promised to be more present to our children, to say yes more frequently when they ask for our time and attention. We promised to continue practicing unconditional love. And let's not fool ourselves here. That is really hard sometimes. But it is worth practicing. Because unconditional, unhurried love sets our children and our partners and even our friends free to pursue their calling and their dreams in the world, knowing that tether of love, that connection of love remains. So may you all, on this Father's Day and in the days to come, experience the power of a love that will not be hurried. May you all experience the power of a love that will not be hurried. May it be so. Happy Father's Day. I love you.